0: uh, day of the 12 days of Christmas, and tomorrow begins. Anybody know what tomorrow begins? Epiphany, Epiphany. that's right, that's right. Now, our liturgical calendar usually says that um, the closest Sunday to Epiphany becomes Epiphany Sunday, if that makes sense. Um, so uh, it's Epiphany Sunday, and we are caught on the cusp between Christmas and Easter. Now, in the Western church, uh, we often celebrate the coming of the wise men for Epiphany. Um, And it it marks the recognition of Jesus by the Gentile world. That's part of it. Well, for the Eastern church, Epiphany is marked by Jesus' baptism. And so this year, we're going to uh, look at both. This week, we're going to look at the wise guys, and next week, we'll look at the wet guys. So a couple of weeks ago, um, I talked a little bit about the wise men and, uh from the east. And if you remember, some scholars speculate that they may have been from Mesopotamia or Arabia. And Bruce uh, Molina argues that they were the fire priests from Persia. And uh, they studied the movement of the stars and the planets and stuff. By the way, that's going to become, it's becoming really, really, really hard by... Next year? Did, did you hear about that? Um, what's happening? That's right. Uh, SpaceX. SpaceX is um, gonna be launching uh, 12,000 satellites to create a, a network over the globe. And so we're gonna have 12,000 different stars. Um, new stars uh, that are actually satellites And uh, there's a certain irony of that because Wiseman used to look to the stars for knowledge, and now we've created our own stars to access the World Wide Web for knowledge. There's certainly something quite interesting about that. And that's a total footnote. Um, Apparently, you're going to be able to see them because the the satellites are going to be highly reflective and it has astronomers really worried that it's going to interfere with their observations. Um, that has nothing to do with today's sermon but um, <laughs> but it is interesting um, the the, the uh, uh, astrologers the wise men the magi um, they were they were like really smart astro geeks of the first century you know who who and they got these really sweet gigs because they got to hang around the royal courts. And uh, um, their job was, like I say, to interpret the celestial motions as they affect the course of events here on Earth. You know, during that time, remember, um, there was a belief that the stars were living entities, um, deities who that took an active interest in human affairs. And, and today, you know, We might consider them quacks and charlatans, but back then, they had the respect of kings and the like. However, the Bible takes a rather dim view of astrologers um, and magicians. Um, Moses outwits them. At every turn, Isaiah calls them stubble fit for the fire. Daniel depicts them as two-bit hacks. And the book of Acts describes them as either being possessed or opportunistic vagabonds. You know, so by and large, the Bible has this really dim view of it, except Matthew. Matthew, I think, is probably the only exception. He doesn't condemn them at all. Instead, he lifts these unlikely guys up as models of faith. You know, St. Augustine called them the first fruits of the Gentiles. And that's part of Matthew's ironic twist. Jesus is the fulfillment of the teachings and the prophets who was first recognized and worshipped by the Gentiles. (laughs) You know, and, and there's something really remarkable about this too because it gives us a glimpse into um, the faith, um, how, how Matthew sees the power of faith at work. And faith um, faith is more than doctrines, dogmas, creeds, or codices. You know, they have their function in faith, but they're not the substance of faith. You know, these things act like a, a skeleton, if you will, a simple structure that gives it a rudimentary form. But there's a lot more to faith than its bones. Faith is, is kind of like the flesh and tichu, tissue that makes those bones dance and is the dance. It involves us being able to discern the spirit and to trust that spirit behind and underneath and through all those things. Discernment means, discernment means being open to and, and, and able to recognize the truth, even if it shows up in very unexpected ways, like a baby, for instance, And it makes me wonder if, maybe if this is why Matthew framed the story of the Magi um, based on the opening verses of Isaiah 60 that Carol read earlier. So if you noticed, Matthew 60 um, has all the great elements of the Magi story in it. It speaks about the great light coming, the nations drawing closer, it, it mentions camels and travelers and gold and frankincense, all coming together to praise God. And it begins with the words, arise and shine. Did you pick that up? That sound familiar? Rise and shine! How many of you have ever had that morning greeting? You know, I hear that morning greeting, rise and shine, as sarcasm. Um, Because that's not me. (laughs) It's not not me at all. You know, it takes me a long time to to get up, let alone rise. And um, I don't even begin to glimmer until after my second cup of coffee. So... So I hold the notion that if the good Lord really wanted us to be up early in the morning, that God wouldn't have chosen the evening to walk with Adam and Eve, you see. God is an evening person just like I am. So there we go. I probably have just shamed uh, John Wesley, uh, but uh, rise and shine, rise and shine. Now, when a prophet says that, the prophet is talking about a spiritual awakening, a spiritual awakening of discernment, of being open and sensitive to what God is up to, what God is doing. And this part of Isaiah, by the way, was written after the Judeans had spent two generations in exile. Now, are, are, are you aware that Isaiah is actually two different Isaiahs? It's one book, but... but uh, and you can see where the seam is in uh, Isaiah. The seam is between uh, chapter, the end of chapter 39 and the start of chapter 40. There is a, it ends with the, uh, uh, the prophet speaking to Hezekiah, who died in, I think it was 687. And then it talks about um, Cyrus and his policy of religious tolerance that allowed Israel to go back to Jerusalem. That's a period, and that occurred in about 535 B.C.E., and so that is about a 150-year difference in there. So, um, so why do we call it Isaiah? Um, it's as good as name as any, I guess. I, I, I'm not sure why. It could have been that the Isaiah, the prophet, the first Isaiah, uh, was named Isaiah. And it could be that the second one was also named Isaiah. I'm not sure. Scholars speculate back and forth. But it occurs, you had these two different prophecies that were then put together into a single scroll. And that's, that's why it's in a sense called Isaiah because we have one large work called that. Um, anyway, this part of Isaiah is, comes from 2nd Isaiah. And um, Uh, it happens when Cyrus had defeated Babylon and Persia became the superpower of the day. And so when things stabilized, Cyrus let the Jews go back to Jerusalem to return. But when they got back, they found a ruined city. The temple was in shambles, it was without a viable economy there, and there wasn't much hope for making a new start. And the people started to slip into despondency, which isn't surprising. You know, they had heard the marvelous stories of Jerusalem in the heydays, you know, when they, they were sitting on their, their grandparents' knees Oh, they heard about the grandeur of a shining temple high on the hill with its pillars of cedar and gold. God used to live there, they'd say. And, and it was magnificent. But now, now it was just a pile of dirty rocks. I mean, they were feeling as down as Charlie Brown on Halloween. <clears throat> so then out of the blue comes this prophet, this poet, shows up and says rise and shine. He tells them that the best days are just around the corner. Jerusalem is going to rise up brighter than ever. She's going to be the place to be. She's going to positively hum with commerce and international trade. She's going to, her shops are going to carry the world's exotic silks and spices the brightest and the best in the land we're going to walk your streets and sip cappuccino in the cafes this is going to be wonderful you know even the exilic strangers we're going to all come home peace, splendor and prosperity was going to be on everyone's lips this was the promise that they could rely on because God was going to make it happen And they were so excited. And so this becomes the framework. This promise, this hope, this expectation becomes the framework for the Magi story. You'd think Herod and everyone would be over the moon. You know, I mean, that to hear that the Halcyon days were just around the corner, after all, it would mean that the rich would become wealthier and the powerful would gain greater authority and influence. This is the stuff that the privileged like to hear. This is the stuff the privileged like to invest in. So, why? It's really odd. Why does Matthew then say that Herod was frightened? <laughs> why why does Matthew say that all of Jerusalem was frightened? It's really kind of a odd thing. You know. <clears throat> And his story sets the stage for the rest of the gospel. Because you see, in Matthew's gospel, we find a push-me-pull-you tension between acceptance and rejection. The irony is the, that those who wait for the Messiah reject him when he comes. And rejection is often a manifestation of fear. So when Isaiah is... While Isaiah is the framework for the Magi story, Micah is the operative prophecy driving events here. Because remember when, they, when, when um, uh, uh, Herod gathers all of his uh, scholars and stuff together, they quote Micah's gospel. They don't, they're not quoting Isaiah. They're quoting Micah. And Micah talks about the ruler's cheeks being struck with a rod, which probably is what made Herod blanch because it means humiliation and usurp- usurpation. The prophet also spoke of another ruler rising up, someone with an ancient and prestigious lineage who would take charge and drive out the occupying forces. And this ruler was going to turn the tables on the status quo. And that is what got Herod and his cronies shaken and quaking in their boots. When they heard rise and shine, they heard the subtext, for your days are numbered. You know, something new is going to take hold, and you boys might want certain to go to church because now is your come-to-Jesus moment. <laughs> and you know the rest of the story. Herod did not rise to the better of the occasion, and he most certainly did not shine. Instead, he turned his fear into deception and manipulation as a prelude to violence. He did that when he tried to hoodwink the magi into being pawns in his paranoia game, in his paranoia game to hang on to power. I mean, you saw the setup, right? Well, you go, find, you go find this babe, you let me know where it is, and I'll go pay homage. <laughs> uh, I could say a few choice words, but I won't. <clears throat> but it has something... Never mind. <clears throat> Has something to do with cows in the field. Um, the magi were on to them. They knew when they were being played, they were wise men, right? And so they bowed in deference and they went on their way. They said, You betcha. And they went on their way. And Matthew said that 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 they find their way to the house of the infant Savior. And, and when they saw the child with his mother, they knelt down and paid homage. They presented him with the precious gifts that they'd carried and guarded for miles and miles. Then they rose and shone with the light of a heart illumined. They bore no fear or rejection, or malice. What they had was illumination and an overwhelming sense of joy to it. And that's what happens, Matthew is saying. That's what happens with an open mind and a generous heart and a perceptive faith. Your hearts will be illumined. Rise and shine. It's a story of discernment, the power of faith to see the truth, the truth that's glimmering beneath the forms and rites of, of what's going on in world events, the, of, of even religion, and even when it glistens in the most surprising places like a baby perched on his mama's knee, you recognize it. The wise can see it, says Matthew. Can you? It's a new year, my friends. And we know. We know that we are going to be faced with some challenging stuff. It's not like, it's, it's not about might we. We know it's going to happen. So, are you going to rise and are you going to shine, you generous, gracious people of God, this year? (laughs) This year may be a year of illumination. Gosh, I hope so. Amen.